So we've got a couple of weeks yet before Advent season really begins, and I don't want to start another series and then have it be interrupted by Christmas messages. Um, so I figured we would benefit from some time with the shepherd, right, being refreshed um, with still waters and green pastures. Um, I, I always wrestle with, I, I recognize that I have a tendency, and some, some preachers and seminary professors would call this an immature tendency, to make the ministry of the word focused too much on uh, the good that it may do in our hearts. The alternative being make the ministry of the word focus on how great and wonderful and glorious God is. And so I recognize I tend to be oriented more the other direction. And maybe as I get older, that will change. Um, but I can't, I can't help but think no temptation has overtaken me except that which is common to man. And I know that by the time we get here on Sunday, it more feels like the end of the week than the beginning. Like you get here and it's just like, ah, uh, I'm already blown out from everything that happened Monday through Saturday. And, and now, I mean, once you wake up on Sunday morning, if you're a bit pessimistic, you just, the countdown begins, right, until Monday comes, and here we go again. Um, <clears throat> and I don't, you know, so I, I don't want to assume things, but I think even though I don't know all the struggles and pains and joys you, you come in here with on a Sunday, I look around the world we live in, and I see an awful lot of chaos and evil, and I encounter it myself throughout the course of the week, and uh, it, it, it when I do talk to you all or I see the prayer requests come in, I hear like the groaning under the thin veil of grinning and bearing it that we're all doing um, or many of us are doing. And if I mean, if that's not you and you're fine, you should listen anyway, because your time's coming. So Psalm 103 <clears throat> says in verse one, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. The verb here, to bless, is not something we, we know what it means because we say it all the time if uh, you're raised in the United States because you say bless you when somebody sneezes, right? But, or if, you, if you're a church person, then you know what bless means because it has something to do with um, like what you say about somebody that annoys you, right? Bless, bless their heart. Or you know what it means because it's just common vernacular. You know it's supposed to be a positive thing um, where you're bestowing some good on somebody. But really, in this context, what bless means is kneeling in reverence. Um, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name describes kneeling reverently before God. And there are two reasons I can give you right off the bat why that's a great idea. <clears throat> Reason number one. He's holy. He's worthy for us to kneel before him and honor him. Um, reason number two is reverence before God will rescue your heart. Reverence before God will rescue your heart from doubt, discouragement, and dismay. So if your heart's troubled, always begin here. Bless the Lord. Uh, it, it's like... 
when you're wore out from the past and you're worried about the future and low-grade frustration sort of wants to take over, I don't know if this is your experience, but mine is often blessing God is, is kind of the last thing I feel like doing. I'm just going to accuse you from now on because you all sit there and look at me like, ooh. When you're worn out from what's happened and you're worried about what's going to happen and you're, you're, you've reached the point where you're just sort of frustrated with existence, blessing God is sometimes the last thing you feel like doing. The reality is there's no better way to get the focus of your heart off of yourself, which is the first step to healing it, and there is no more worthy object than God for the focus of your heart. The first step to real life, if you go to therapy and they don't tell you this, maybe me telling you this will help your therapy work better. But the first step to getting over all of your mental anguishes and problems is to make less of yourself and more of the one who made you. Um, and it's, I mean, he says it three times, right? So verse two, bless the Lord again, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Has God done amazing things for you historically? Um, like open your diary and read it if you're not sure. Or if you don't have one, start keeping one. I went through this exercise <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago because I had a journaling app that I was using and have used it for a long time. And for some reason, just lost all, all my journals. And uh, I mean, in the providence of God, that's frustrating, but that's what you get for not using pen and paper, right, old people? <clears throat> um, so in order to kind of recreate some important parts of my history, I had to get on my computer and go back through text messages from years ago and look at date timestamps and like it was a real thing I had to do to get everything uh, rewritten down and retract because I know myself. And if I don't keep track of the goodness of God in my life, all I will remember are the bad things. That's the bent of my heart. In Esther 6, man, it's tempting to like preach through Esther because there's so many practical lessons in that book. But one of my favorite ones is there's this moment in, this, in the narrative of, of Mordecai and King Ahasuerus, there's this moment where Mordecai, who's just a Jew who's living in the city, becomes aware of a plot against the king. And he warns the king through his um, you know, intermediaries. And so the king is saved. And then six chapters later, the king is having trouble sleeping one night and he has uh, his servants start reading to him from the book of the Chronicles and in there is chronicled how, Morde how Mordecai uh, preserved the life of the king and the king's like, oh yeah, that ha did, did we ever do anything for Mordecai? And his servants are like, nope. Like six chapters, however many months or years later, the king had completely forgotten. Like that's us. Something really great happened for me a few months ago, and now it's completely out of my mind and heart. So when the psalmist says, bless the Lord and forget none of his benefits, understand that means you have some obligation to keep track. And if you don't, believe me, you won't remember. You won't remember. 
We're just wired that way. Um, and then thankfully, David lays it all out for us, right? Verse 3. Here's, <clears throat> excuse me, here are all the benefits that he could come up with for this psalm. Who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. Well, that's a heck of a thing to say to a bunch of people who are either getting sick, just were sick, are sick, or are permanently sick. The first part we're good with. Yeah, he forgives all my iniquity. But the second part, I mean, unless you're charismatic, kind of wild-eyed, you struggle with this because you get sick, right? Some, some of you have been sick recently for like weeks. And in the midst of it, you're not thinking, hey, he heals all my diseases. No, you're thinking, no, I'm, it's not getting better and I want to die. Right? Here's the reason I believe, this is just my opinion, the psalmist puts the forgiving of your sin with the healing of your diseases. If you undervalue the forgiveness of sin, you will overvalue the curing of your physical illnesses. If you undervalue the forgiveness of sin, you will overvalue the curing of physical illness. Suffering with disease will for sure steal some joy from your life, right? When you're sick, it's like there's less joy because you're miserable. I can't breathe on one side of my face. And so then I'm sleeping with my mouth open. I wake up, my throat hurts. And then I start coughing. I wake up my spouse. That steals a little bit of joy. When you're running on three and a half hours of sleep and you're like, well, now we live in a work from home culture, so... I get to still do that. It steals some joy from you. You can't get done all the things you want to get done. Or you're not as good at everything as you want to be because you're sick and you're tired. That steals some joy from your life. So being uh, physically ill with some disease will steal some joy. Suffering the guilt of your sin will steal all the joy. So David says, look, he forgives all my sin all my iniquity, and he heals all my diseases because in reality, one of the promises of the scripture is, the gospel promise is, eventually that's going to be true. There will be no more diseases for those that are in Christ Jesus, right? More to come on that. Verse 4. Are we following along up here? Oh, perfect. Who redeems your life from the, all right, we'll call it 4A. <clears throat> who redeems your life from the pit. We're, we're forgetting none of God's benefits to us, right? So he forgives your life from the pit, or sorry, redeems your life from the pit means that if, if, from a biblical perspective, if you're not in Christ, if you're not a Christian, which means you don't have a real vital relationship with the, the God who created you, then spiritually speaking, you are established in the grave, in judgment, in hell. That's, spiritually speaking, that's where you're ultimately going because you're outside of the only mode of redemption that God has provided, which is the person and work of Jesus Christ. So there you are in the pit, separated from God. If you're, if you're a Christian, what happened? Verse 
4B, second part of 4, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Now, I, I'm not as spiritual as the commentators, so like crowns is an odd verb in my mind here. Because I don't think a gold, jewel-encrusted circlet of metal headwear is really what's in view. And, and if you look, I'm not playing games, okay, I promise. But if you look at the word in the original Hebrew, and I don't speak Hebrew, but you can open up a dictionary and do a little bit of research, right? If you look at this word, what it really says is encircle. So see if this works better for you or resonates a little bit more in your heart who surrounds you with unchanging love and compassion. I mean, it's nice to be reminded that in spite of the struggle we all engage in, all of the falling down that we do, all the disappointment, all the failure. You are surrounded by unchanging love. And compassion. That's God's promise to you. If you're in Christ. Verse 5. Who satisfies you with good. So that your youth is renewed. Like the eagles. Now I know this doesn't mean much if you're younger. Uh, because you're going to live forever. But the rest of us. like Give the rest of us a moment. To just appreciate something. All right. <clears throat> And I'm, <laughs> I apologize if you're much older than me that I do this. It's, it, this is not me being insensitive. When I talk about myself as though I'm old, it's not in an effort to make you feel even worse. Okay? But I'm, I just know now because the last five years have showed me I'm not young. I want to be. In my mind, I still am. Can I get an amen? All right? But I'm in my body, I'm not. The miles are on it, and it's starting to show. And you get to be a certain age. I don't know what it is. I don't know when it happened, so I don't know what the particular age is. But you get to a point where you start to think, like, not only am I losing a step physically, but you start to think about time a little bit differently than you did when you were young. I told you, young people, just let us have a moment here, okay? You start to think about time a little bit differently. And the result of that is you start thinking things that aren't necessarily true. All right? Stay with me, my older, seasoned brothers and sisters. You haven't lost anything by getting older. Right? Trust me. I'll make it clear by the end of this psalm if we get there. But you haven't lost anything if you're in Christ by getting older. You haven't lost anything by being beset with illness if you're sick. And you won't lose anything by dying when that happens. So look at Isaiah 40. Turn in your Bible to Isaiah 40. We're going to look at Isaiah 40, 29.
Everybody there? Okay. He gives power to the faint. This is Isaiah 49, or sorry, Isaiah 40, 29. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Yes. Yes. Right? Even youths shall faint and be weary. Yes. Young men shall fall and be exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Everybody's seen the last part of that probably on a coffee cup or a bad painting of an eagle, right? What are we waiting on the Lord for? They, verse 31, right? Look right at it. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and and not faint. What are we waiting on the Lord for? Look at Hebrews 9. Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to jump in verse 27. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly, what's that? Eagerly waiting for him. So uh, this might be news to some of you. It is appointed by God because of sin and the fall for everybody to die once and then judgment. The exception is there's a verse that says in a moment, a twinkling, and we'll get there, right? We'll all be changed. Not everybody's going to die. But everybody that dies, what will happen is you will die, there will be judgment, and then that's it. You're done. There's no do-overs. There's no repenting at that point. It's too late. Once you see him, you'll either be just like him or you will be separated from him for eternity. This is what we're waiting on the Lord for. Look at John 14. Back from Hebrews towards, towards the beginning of the New Testament, John 14. Right at the top, verse 1, John 14, 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Which if I could just point out real quickly, and I realize we're pressed for time this morning. This is, <clears throat> listen, you can, Kate, you can either do this or you can do this, right? You can let your heart be troubled or you can believe in God and Jesus Christ. You can let your heart be troubled or you can believe in God and Jesus Christ. That's, the, that's it. You pick one or the other. What does that tell you about those moments when your heart is super duper troubled? I don't have a circumstances problem. I've never had a circumstances problem. Now, did I not just say a few minutes ago when you're sick, it steals some joy from you? 
But that doesn't mean you have a circumstances problem because the other thing I said is if you are unrepentant and live in rebellion against God, that will steal all the joy from you. You don't have a circumstances problem. You have a, a focus problem. You have a what am I waiting for problem. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, says Jesus. In my house, my father's house, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? No, he wouldn't have because he's not a liar. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So this is what Jesus is saying is the promise of the gospel and eternal life. Once you go, once you're done waiting and you go or he comes back and takes you, then you get to be with him in glory forever. That's what I'm waiting for. What are you waiting for? I'm waiting for this cold to go away so I can start being happy again. Well, you're going to be disappointed when you get the cold that doesn't go away, right? All right, so old people. <laughs> you might feel the years slipping through your fingers like sand. Like nothing could have prepared you for the speed at which life has passed. You might feel like you need to go back and do things over. Come on now. Okay, that's fine. I'm the only one. <clears throat> you might feel like you made too many mistakes and wasted too many moments and spent your years pointlessly. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you haven't lost anything if you are in Jesus Christ. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That's what the verse says. He, he forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, we know this cannot mean that tomorrow you're going to wake up and have it all back, right? Sorry if you were naming and claiming that. It doesn't work. But if God says your youth is going to be renewed, that like the years that the locust stole will be restored, then what's coming next for those of us who've put our faith in Jesus Christ has got to be better than the best day on this earth. So the first five things we remember, he forgave my sin. He's healing all the damage done by my sin. He's redeemed my life from the grave, from hell, from the pit. He surrounded me with steadfast love and compassion and he has promised to take me home for eternity. Kneel in reverence and let those truths work on your heart. You feel that? Oh, bless God and forget none of his benefits. Here they are. If you're a Christian. 103.6 <clears throat> The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. God has been good, not just to us, but to all of his people throughout history. It doesn't always feel like it because justice, I mean, all right, I'm not going to go too hard. I don't, this is not Newsmax, okay? 
but these are observations that I think any reasonable person can agree with. I'm not, gonna, I'm not Rush Limbaugh. I'm just saying. It seems to me that justice is missing from our courts. I mean, I know people, at least one person, that got a general discharge in the last two years. And then I read in the paper, news, internet, whatever, that the army's like, hey, everybody that we kicked out because you wouldn't take a vaccine, we'd like you to come back. And by the way, you don't have to take the vaccine or we'll adjust your discharge status. How about an apology? How about a, a grain of repentance for, for putting people in an impossible situation where you either take an experimental vaccine, which you are free to do, or you lose your job? How about an apology for that? No, no, no. No, no, we're not going to admit we were wrong. We're just going to quietly, there's justice missing, right? And that's just one example. And again, I know some of you just like curled up inside yourself because you're like, he's an anti-vaxxer. That's not the point. My, my point is, it's, it's the, I could go a lot harder. It's the lightest sign I can indicate that there's some justice missing. Okay, I'm going to, It feels like justice is missing from our courts, but it will never be absent for, from his. And for this, we should bless God. There's nothing like Jesus will come back and rescue his people. He's coming back also to judge whatever evil has happened. Yours, mine, and everybody else's. Nobody's getting away with anything. The banks aren't, the bureaucrats aren't, the rapists, murderers, thieves, slanderers, liars, and scoundrels. Nobody's going to get away with anything. Every jot of your sin is going to be accounted for. As is everybody else's, all the dark room deals that are going on right now, God sees and knows. They're not fooling him. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. How do we know this? Next verse, 7. <clears throat> he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. So, I mean, really simply, he gave us his word. We don't have to grope around in the dark and try to, like, figure out who God is by looking at nature. He, we aren't left to our own imaginations concerning his character. He revealed himself to Moses, and, and that event is the one that David, as he was writing this psalm, could look back to, right? David's the psalmist. He's the man after God's own heart. He's writing about God's faithfulness and revealing his own character. And he goes, you know, where I see that happen most drastically is in the story of the Exodus. The people are groaning in slavery in Egypt. And God says, I heard my people's cry. I'm going to redeem them from slavery. That's how God had revealed himself. Now, can I just ask you to think about how he has revealed himself to us? 
David could look back at Moses. What can we look back at? In Colossians 1, 15, We just went through this six months ago. He's the image. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In who? In Christ. How do we know Christ? He's revealed all through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. He's all over in there and we get to see him. And when we look at that, then we can know exactly what God is like by looking at that person, Jesus Christ. So David could say, God doesn't make you grope around in the dark to figure out who he is. He's revealed himself in Moses's law. We get to say, God has revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ who said to me, not 10 minutes ago, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Okay. Now consider how accurately the next passage in Psalm 103 describes him. Verse 8. That we, like, we have this Old Testament, New Testament kind of disparity in our minds about what God's like. I don't know if all cultures have it, but ours definitely has it. Because when I talk to people that are anti-theist and against Christianity, one of the things that I hear pretty routinely is, well, <clears throat> in their minds, there's God and then there's Jesus. And the church uh, likes to make a big deal about Jesus to try to like hide God because God is this angry, you know, wizard man stomping around, setting everything on fire. And Jesus is this nice, loving fairy man sprinkling love dust on everybody, Right. But what I see in scripture, and this proves it, is a consistent unfolding of the mercy and kindness and steadfast love of God. I don't believe there's a disparity. I think that we see increasing clarity as we get closer to the advent of Jesus Christ. We see more clearly and more clearly and more clearly what God is really like as we get through the Old Testament into the new. So Psalm 103.8, what's the Lord like? He's merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. His, sorry, steadfast love towards those who fear him. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Which, by the way, is really important because it doesn't matter how far you go east, you'll never start going west unless you turn around. But if you go north far enough, eventually you'll start going south, right? So Jesus casts our sins as far as east is from west so that he will, he will choose to remember them no more. They will bear no consequence for us. 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. That's a good dad. That's a good father, right? That shows compassion to his children. I know, like, when my kids are awful, I don't want them to die. 
I want them to change their behavior, but I'm not like, I wish you would fall down and never get up again. Never has that thought crossed my mind. And I'm not a good dad. How much better is the Lord? Great in compassion. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Listen to me, Christian. God is not mad at you. Christian. God is not mad at you, nor is he only uh, fond of a future version of you. It's not like God's not mad at you because he knows eventually you'll quit irritating him. He loves you right now. And you can look me in the eyes and you can say, you don't know what I did last night. And I'll say, you're right, I don't, but I know this. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I know that, that, that he's full of mercy and compassion and he won't keep his anger forever. And it's not because you're pretty wonderful, right? Look at verse 10. <clears throat> he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. Well, what does that tell you? Well, God doesn't love you because you're awesome. You're just so great and he wants you on, on his team. No, 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 no. He deals, uh, calm down, Naomi. He deals with the thing that makes you odious and grotesque. Look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And thank God he does it because I can't get it off of me. Your sin is vile and rancid and it's a front and an abomination to God. So for everyone who has faith in Jesus, everyone who has faith in Jesus, God takes that sin away. How did he do that? How does he do that? How does God take the sin away? He's holy, right? So if God just takes it, like, he can't be in the presence of it. He's got to do something with it. And he's got to do something with the wrath that's owed for the sin. So how does he take the sin away? And when you, when you start to really look at the unfolding of the gospel and, and the way that these pieces fit together, it's more and more breathtaking the whole idea that God came as a man. Like logically, if you think this through, if God had just come down as God, then him being holy wouldn't have accomplished anything for us because he's God. We're not. We're people. So he, he, he can go on being holy for eternity and it does nothing for us. But if he comes and he takes on human flesh and he takes on the nature of a man and in that nature he's holy and refuses sin and does only what's right, now there's something meaningful there for us. Now an exchange can happen. I can lay claim to the holiness that the man Jesus Christ actually accomplished, except that I'm already a sinner and something's got to happen with that. So what happens with sin? That man who lived perfectly and holy and really endures the wrath of God on my behalf 
And you see this when he's nailed to the cross and lifted up before all the people and hangs there bleeding and dying. There's a moment where it becomes, in my mind, crystal clear that the father cannot be in the presence of his own son anymore because his son has become sin on my behalf. And so something changes in the fabric of the relationship between the Father and Jesus Christ. And you hear the Lord cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, because he's never going to leave or forsake me. And for that to happen, somebody has to be forsaken. And thanks be to God, it was the perfect man, Jesus Christ, because after he dies and he's in the tomb and death's got him and the devil's like, yes, I, I won. Imagine his shock when suddenly Jesus takes a breath and his heart begins to beat again and his eyes open slowly and his brain waves start up again and the devil's watching this and then Jesus sits up and he takes off the burial shroud and he folds it up and he lays it down on the, the, the stone where his body had been and he gets up and angels roll away the stone or he does, I don't know, and he walks bodily out of the tomb because death couldn't hold him and the grave couldn't keep him. Now I have hope. Now I have a redeemer. That's why God's not mad at you. I almost forgot why I said all that. He poured wrath out on his own son so that all who believe in him might have these precious promises we've seen so that he could deal with us in compassion. Yeah, he knows our frame. <laughs> he knows our innermost parts, right? 15 proves it. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. Wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more. So the grass lives, it grows, it flowers, it falls beneath the sun and then the wind comes along and blows and that's the end. And you just like I could just say that sentence over and over and over again. And, and that is like that sentence is the history of mankind. The grass grows up, it flowers. Oh, it's beautiful. Sun comes out, it withers, it dies. The wind comes, blows it away. Another, another one gone, another person gone. Sin... <clears throat> Ultimately, will kill you and I, and our hearts know it, right? Oh my gosh, the pains of life are a constant reminder to us that things are not as they were originally made. I don't want to get morbid and depress you, but the fact is, eventually, eventually, you're going to collapse, and you will never get, you will never get to your feet again. Eventually, you're going to collapse and you will never get to your feet again. You don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know when the last time you're going to sit down or lay down is. You won't be able to mark it. But it's going to happen. You'll sit or you'll lay down and that'll be it. There'll be no more getting up. And your daily tasks will be left undone. Like untouched even, right? Your daily pleasures are just going to cease. Your friendships will be over. 
In that moment, when you get down and never get back up again because your breath ceases, your heart stops beating, your brain shuts down, your organs are finished, and your, the wind comes to blow you away, your marriage will be no more. And if you have children, your children, they're going to go on without you. Most of us probably won't be remembered beyond our grandchildren. When the funeral is over and, and the, the ache of our passing in the hearts of those who loved us the most, when that ache starts to fade, we will slowly disappear. The thanksgivings will be forgotten. The Christmases with all the joy and laughter, if we had them, those will fade away into the void. The wedding photos will be thrown away. Because eventually there won't be anybody that remembers who you were. Why keep that photo? The cookbooks and the tools will be left untouched because you'll be gone. And sin will laugh in victory that it got another one. But, verse 17, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Why would his love be everlasting if we're so temporary? Why would the steadfast love of Jesus go on and on if it has no target? Is, it, is God just remembering you fondly after you're gone? And we saw it already, don't we? Because when our possessions <laughs> have all been sold or donated or given to the garbage bin, when our photos are, are only uh, seen by people who never even knew us, when it comes to that, when my vapor of a life here is over and the wind has blown so that not even, not even a footprint of my existence is left, if we are among those who clung to Jesus in this life, he will carry us into the life yet to come. That's why his steadfast love goes on forever. Because there will be a target for it. If you are somebody who believes the gospel, then when you go, however you go, a semi on the interstate, right? Let's get it done. Nobody wants to linger and be a burden. However you go, if you're a Christian, you be with him. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more fear, no more shame, no more guilt, no more sin, no more death. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. All that is in me. I don't have to get old and fall apart if I make it that far. And just wish I had done more with my life. I can get old 
and fall apart and bless God, I've got a life to come. Amen.